If you have your Bibles, you can open with me to Philippians chapter 4, and we will start in verses 1 through 3. And if you have your little nice little slip of paper here, this is how we'll charge forward with this little slip of paper. Uh, and uh, you see the title, Yodia, Syntyche, and Three Simple Words. This will be our goal this morning. So if you are armed with this little slip of paper in your Bible, let's dive into Philippians chapter 4, and let's start together in verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Let's pray together. Dear Father, teach us this morning. We want our hearts to be open and expandable, and or would you just fill us with whatever it is that you would have for us this morning, or teach us, show us the way. In your name we pray, amen. So the first thing that we see as we look at this passage, and I hope that you've already seen it before I've even gotten up here and started talking, the first word that you see in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 is what? Therefore. And anytime you see the word therefore, you look and see what it's enthusiastically, you look and see what it's there for. Because when you look at it, you know that you've inquired upon a very helpful Bible study technique. When you see the word therefore, this is a helpful tool for us to see what the preceding passages have to say. And Paul has built this letter in such a way that he is building and building and building upon this argument that he's making. So much so that as you look at your outline, you're going to see that almost every one of these passages is from preceding passages in Philippians. Now, Paul didn't write this letter and say, okay, this is chapter 4, this is verse 2. This is a letter written to the church to be read aloud to the church. And so Paul is going to build upon and make arguments chapter after chapter. I don't know if any of y'all had, uh, as parents, if you've ever had a kid that came to you with something like this. Hey, mom and dad, I think we should get a dog. Here are the reasons why we should get a dog. I'm going to feed the dog. I'm going to make sure this dog has properly watered and that he is clean. I'm going to make sure I brush the dog. I'll clean up anything that's messy in the backyard. Mom and dad, I'm going to take care of all the problems with this dog. Therefore, you can go out and buy me a dog, right? The kids know what's up. They know they've got to build the case and build the argument for their parents so they can get to this, therefore, mom and dad, you can go forward with confidence that I'm going to take care of this dog. Now, Paul is much different than your kids in that Paul is going to follow through on his arguments where your kids probably didn't. That's another day. Anyway, so we see Paul writing this word, therefore, to help us understand and build upon his previous arguments. And what we've seen time and time again is Paul writing, and we've belabored this for two weeks now, Philippians 3, 18 through 21, or through 20, about being citizens of heaven, about being Believers in the midst of a culture that lives against the principles of God's word. We've seen that. We felt that. So as we get into Philippians 4, we're going to need to understand everything that we talk about, especially as we get into verses like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in the context in which they're written. And let me pause for a moment here and say the importance of us being students of God's word to read scripture in good and proper context that we don't cherry pick passages of scripture and say, I can do things, all things through Christ who strengthens me. I cannot wait to dunk this basketball this afternoon. It's not going to happen. 
I can't wait to lift 400 pounds. Have you seen me? I'm not lifting 400 pounds. But if I take the verse outside of its proper context, I believe that I can do all things through Christ who gives me all the strength in the world. Friends, we read scripture in its proper context to understand what the author, what God wants and what it means, not what we want it to mean. This is helpful. And so when we come to verses like this, where we see, therefore, we always look at it in light of what comes before it and what Paul is trying to get his readers to understand. So again, it's important for us as we read God's word, not just to say, well, this verse looks good and it helps my position. This looks good and it helps my argument. We read scripture in light of what it was written, who it was written to, and the purpose by which the author was writing it to us. And so this morning, as we come to therefore, this word, therefore, if we miss it, we miss the proper encouragement that comes before it, that we live as citizens of heaven. That we understand that there are those who've run contrary to the word of God, who've run contrary to the nature of which God has called us to. But we are, therefore, in just a moment, going to see what it's really there for. But before we really get there, we need to understand this other thing. There's a lot here. First is Paul's crown and joy. Fill in on your outline there. Point number one is Paul's crown and his joy. You see it right here. Therefore, my beloved brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I hope at this point by Philippians chapter four, you have realized that Paul loves this church. Y'all felt it? I mean, we've seen it over and over again. Paul talks about my beloved. I love you. I've labored with you and alongside you. Paul loves these people. I mean, it's kind of like maybe your Bible fellowship class. I, as I've called and made calls, you just, you gush about your Bible fellowship class. Man, they're awesome. I love them. These people are with me. They've helped me through hard times. And Paul, and likewise, is just saying, my beloved. And why does Paul say that? Because Paul has watched these believers go from death to life. And he has watched as they have grown in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, that they are growing in the grace of the Lord day in and day out. And he sees these believers as his crown and his jewel. These believers are his joy. Discipling these people is his absolute joy-filled process. It's the crowning achievement of his ministry, our people and believers. It's so what Paul in Philippians chapter 1 could say, I know what you really think has happened here, that I'm in prison and the gospel can't go forward. But thanks be to God, the gospel continues to go forward. And he is rejoicing in the Lord all throughout these pages. Why? Because the lost are being found and they're growing in the Lord. This is why it says joy in his crown. And so let's pause here for just a moment. If we understand in this context here that Paul is telling us that his crowning achievement, the crown and joy in his life are believers growing in the grace. Look on your outline at Philippians 2.16, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ Jesus, I may be proud that I do not run in vain and labor in vain because you continue to know Jesus. What a pause. Talk to parents and grandparents and others in this room who ask just what is your crown and what is your joy? You know, many of us, it's our, our kids, and we love seeing our kids excel on the ball fields and in the academic classrooms. We love to see them excel and do well. And for many of us, at times, we wear that as the crowning achievement of our lives, that our kids excel on ball fields and in classrooms. 
But friends, all that is eternal, or excuse me, earthly. Those things will pass, those acclimates, those trophies and ribbons that we put in our rooms will quickly fade away. But what is palsy is the eternal ramifications. The joy in his crown is that people come to the faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So parents, is your crowning achievement that your kids grow up knowing Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Is your joy watching your kids and grandkids run and walk with Jesus every step of the way? It's easy to get caught up in all these artificial crowns that we wear so proudly. But you see, Paul, time and time again, all throughout the book of Philippians, talk about the longevity, the eternal ramifications of what we do here on earth. And so I'll ask you an important question. What is your joy and what is your crown? What, is you, what do you wear as your crowning achievement as parents, as individuals? Do we see the things that we accumulate on this earth, our possessions, our things, our wealth, our time, all these things that we accumulate, do we wear this, them as crowns in our head? Or is our joy the loss being found? New people coming to Jesus. You see Paul clearly state with his depth of his heart, brothers and sisters, people that have labored beside whom I love and I long for, you are my joy and you are my crown. And they are this because he sees them growing in the knowledge of Jesus. And then he goes on to say, and we see what the really the therefore is, therefore, my brothers whom I long love and long for. And he tells them, therefore, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Your second point in your outline is Paul's encouragement to stand firm. Paul's telling the people, hey, we know and understand that this is a hard and difficult circumstance in which you're in, that this is a difficult culture in which you live. This is a difficult place in which you are living currently, but stand firm in the midst of it. Stand firm. Therefore, you can almost take out the preceding passages and say, therefore, my brothers, stand firm thus in the Lord. I'm reminded uh, back in the day, many, many years ago, the Bethes would always take a beach trip down the Gulf Shores. One week out of the year, all the Bethes would get together and we would buy, we'd, we'd rent, not buy, we'd rent this, this house that all the cousins, aunts and uncles, we'd all get together there at the beach and we would go down the Gulf Shores and we would, all the grandkids, or excuse me, kids and cousins, we'd all sit on the beach from the morning until they would kick us off in the afternoon. We loved being on the beach. And there's a particular game that I used to enjoy playing where we'd all, all get up the cousins and line them up. And we would stand there on these wavy days and we would stand in the ocean really, really with our feet in the sand. Y'all played this game before? Get your feet in the sand? If you haven't, you should try it. It's going to be a lot of fun, okay? So you stand there with your feet firmly in the ocean, right? And waves come crashing and you get bent back, but you, you stand, right? Wave comes and you get knocked over, but you just stand firm. And the game is the last man standing, right? The waves would come and knock us over and whoever can stand firm in the ocean the longest is the winner and gets a high five and it's really about it. But it was a fun game. It was a really fun game. But it reminded me of this passage here of Paul saying, stand firm thus in the Lord that there are seasons of life that we feel like we are standing firm, but the waves of life and culture and the world come crashing down all around us. You feel it? Amen. You feel it. You get health struggles and job loss and difficult circumstances and seasons and people biting at you and hurting you. And you feel the waves of life just crash all on top of you. I think this is why Paul reminds us, therefore, stand firm. Stand firm thus in the Lord. 
I think this is an incredible three words here that we've got to soak on. We'll talk about it in the coming weeks as well. Paul says, stand firm thus in the Lord. In the Lord. These are three simple words that change every portion of our hearts and lives. If we stand firm in the Lord. And I found myself at times standing firm and thinking I'm standing firm, but what I'm really doing is standing firm in the midst of shifting sands. And when the waves come, I am knocked to and fro all sorts of off my rocker. But friends, the Lord is calling us to stand firm in him, in his power, in his strength, in his word, that we stand firm in the bedrock soil of who God is. We stand firm in that so that when the waves come crashing all around us, and friends know if they have not yet come crashing, they are crashing and they are coming from a variety of places. And so at times, these waves can, can signal to us that we have not firmly rooted and that we need to put our feet on the bedrock soil of God's word and God's providence in our life. So Paul's going to tell us, friends, stand firm. Stand firm thus in the Lord so when the waves of this world come crashing all around you, your feet are on the solid, solid rock. When those waves come, and maybe you're not on the solid rock, I'm reminded of also in that analogy. I know all analogies break down at some point, but there would always be that one wave as the Bethay children were scattered across the ocean. There would always be that one wave that would knock down everyone simultaneously. You know what I'm saying? You're out there, and this one wave comes, and every kid gets knocked down, and what happens? Are the parents like, uh-oh, hope somebody finds them? Oh, man, the, all the parents, Tim and Julie, mom and dad, come running out there to get all the kids and pull them out of the ocean and towel them off and make sure the salt water's out of their eyes. And you know what happens? We all get back in, right? It's go time. And friends, at times and in seasons, when we get knocked down, when our feet are not firmly planted as they thought they were, we need brothers and sisters to come around us and towel us off and remove the salt water from our eyes and remove the thorns from our flesh and to send us back out on the solid ground. So friends, you see, Paul, remind the beloved at Philippi, stand firm in the Lord. And if I can give you anything, if you forget everything else I say, I want to encourage you this morning. Maybe you feel those waves coming, crashing all around you. Stand firm in the Lord. These three words mean everything for us. Our trust is not in ourselves. It's in the Lord. Our joy comes from not ourselves, but in the Lord. Our hope not comes from ourselves, but it comes from being in the Lord. So let this small little phrase that we see in the scriptures mean everything to us and ask ourselves, are you in the Lord this morning? Are you trusting him with everything you have and everything you've got? Are you in the Lord? This changes everything about the way that we relate to everything in this culture. As we continue, Paul takes a side note here. He says in verse 2, I entreat Yodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. Agree in the Lord. Your third point on your outline is Paul's urging towards unity. I mean, imagine you're sitting in church and you're sitting in the church there at Philippi and your name is Yodia and Syntyche and this messenger comes back and reads this word aloud, and you hear your name spoken in front of the entire congregation there at Philippi, and Paul saying, hey, Yudia, Syndike, agree in the Lord. Would your ears be pricked a little bit if, you're, if that was you? 
think there would be a little bit of ear pricking going on. But see, what I find interesting is Paul is not saying, Yodia, you are right. Syndicate, you are wrong. Y'all need to figure it out and get it together because you're right, you're wrong. Stop acting like children. Just get it together. No, Paul says, I, I entreat, which means I plead. Paul's pleading with them, begging them with everything in them, saying, look, look at it. Look right here on your outlines or on your Bibles. I entreat Yodia. I entreat you, Syndicate. To what? Agree. And then keep going. Agree what? These three little words come back again. Imagine that. Agree in the Lord. This is big. And you're going to see it again as you get to verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord. It's like Paul's trying to get this into our skulls that in the Lord is a very important part of our Christian existence that we can't rejoice apart from the Lord, that we're not going to have hope apart from the Lord, and we're not going to trust apart from the Lord. We're not going to stand firm, and we're certainly not going to agree apart from the Lord. I want to pause here for a moment and let us see what's going on. These two believing women not having a theological argument about who God is or what the gospel is, having likely an argument about some personality difference or some difference of opinion. These are gospel-centered women. They've striven side by side with Paul in gospel ministry, and here they find themselves believing women in the church having a disagreement. Never heard of that before, right? Never had two believers having disagreements before, never having problems I mean, one of the worst images that anybody has of a church is that everybody just gets along and we all love each other well. We're, we're all sinners and we all have problems and we all at times don't agree with one another. But here's the deal. We're going to have disagreements in the church. We're going to have conflict. and At times, we're not going to agree with one another over every simple thing. And at times, there's going to be struggle and strife between believers. But I want us to see how Paul talks to Yodia and Syndicate about resolving their conflict. And it's that chief word, in the Lord. Imagine for a moment that Kenny and I, something's happened and we've come to terms and blows with one another and we decide that we don't really like each other for a little bit. Kenny's done something that's upset me or I've done something to upset him and Kenny and I are just having some gravest of problems. Now it's easy for us to go our separate ways and just say, well, Kenny's not my friend anymore. He's not coming to my birthday party. And so he's over here and I'm over here and we just don't like each other. And it's easier, far easier to live like that, is it not? Where if they're going to sit on this side of the church, I'm going to sit on this side of the church, and we'll just make sure I come at different Bible study hours, and we're just going to live apart from one another. We can still be in the church, but we're just not going to like each other all that much. Paul finds significance in the four chapters to write to Yodia and Syndicate and say, agree in the Lord. That the unity and fabric of believers coming together to agree in the Lord is that important. So what do I do with this? What do I do? Kenny and I don't agree on something. What do we do? Well, we, uh, we agree in the Lord. I come to Kenny and I remind Kenny and I remind myself that Kenny has a relationship with Jesus. Kenny loves Jesus as his Lord and Savior and follows Jesus and wants Jesus to be magnified in all of his life. And Kenny knows that I love Jesus and I want Jesus to be magnified in everything I do and say, and I want to follow Jesus with my life. And so we come together and I agree. Kenny loves Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm not going to criticize the Jesus and Kenny and Kenny ain't going to criticize the Jesus and me. And so we're going to come together at the most basic foundation of our faith that we both love Jesus and we want to see Jesus magnified. That's where we agree. And we can work our way out in some other disagreements, but if we cannot come to the table with love in our hearts for one another, an agreement that we both are both flawed men desperately in need of a Savior, if we can't come to that point and just say, brother, I love you, 
I know that we both love Jesus. Let's figure out how we can work together so that Jesus looks great in our lives. Friends, we're going to have disagreements all across the face of this planet. You're going to disagree about a lot of different things. Where two or more Baptists are together, there's a four or five different opinions, is there not? But the reality is, do we come together and agree in the Lord? Do you come together and do you believe the best about your brother or sister? Do you come together and say, I know and I believe that we both love Jesus. So let's start in this place and then work our way out. Friends, you see Yodia and Syndicate being urged and pleaded by Paul to come together and agree with one another. We're better together as a faith family. We're better when we work out our problems and our differences one to another. But we start with that basic foundation. Oh, I need Jesus. You need Jesus. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. But let's want, love one another well enough to walk forward in the Lord. And I know that I am simplifying this, and these things are messy and difficult, and there's struggles in our disagreements. But friend, come to that place for the good of the church and for the good of the church universal to agree with one another in the Lord. So you see on your outline, Paul is urging toward unity that we find agreement in the Lord, but we also find help in other believers. You see Paul encouraged in verse three, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. Work together. That it's good for us to come together with other believers and say, I don't know if I'm right, I don't know if I'm right, I don't know what's going on, but I know that we need help because we want to come together in agreement. This is why the Bible teaches, do not let the sun go down on your anger, friends, because divisions fracture the good work that God is doing. So we come together and agree in the Lord with one another. We might not be BFFs slapping hands till the cows come home, but we can agree together in the Lord for the good of his church and the good of his gospel going forward. So it's possible you need to do like Paul and Yodia and Syndicate. You need to have a trusted brother, this true companion who can come alongside you, who can just say, brother, I think you're in error. I know I love you. I think you may be in error. Y'all come together, agree with one another, love one another, help each other out in these processes. And so find help from other believers. If you find yourself at odds with other believers, friends, hear me say, with other believers, unify, come together, agree in the Lord together in those most basic Christian truths. Because you see, there's, there's an eternal weight and value here. Paul says that they've striven together with the Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Your last point in your outline there is Paul's heavenly reminder. Paul's heavenly reminder. As Paul talks about the unity of believers coming together to agree in the Lord, he also reminds them, Yodia, Syndicate, this true companion, Clement, the rest of the brothers and sisters whose names are in the book of life. You talk about eternal versus earthly circumstance. Paul's reminding these brothers and sisters that agree in the Lord, and he points them to their names that are written in the book of life. This miraculous truth that these brothers and sisters' names have been taken from death to life. I want you to look on your outline for a moment. In these final moments, if you'll stay with me, Luke 10, 20. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, Jesus talking to his apostles, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. 
Imagine this, you've just heard these words from Jesus that you're going to go out and you're going to do miraculous and essentially crazy things for the kingdom. You're going to trample on serpents. You're going to speak and these crazy things are going to happen. And you're going to see miraculous, mighty things happen to you and around you and through you. And then finish verse 20. But nevertheless, don't take joy in this. Don't take joy that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names that your names are written in heaven. See, this is the miraculous truth. This is the reminder that we need to keep our focus on as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of a faith. This is where we turn our gaze and focus and agree with one another. Friends, that we have witnessed and experienced as believers the most miraculous thing that could ever happen to any one of us. The most miraculous thing that's happened in this room is that God saw fit to take a sinner such as I a sinner who has thoughts that he had, he should not think, and a heart that continually seems to turn away. That our God has taken a sinner who was dead in his sins and his trespasses and made me alive together with Christ, and that my name is in the book of life. Friends, we can rejoice over a lot of things that we see the Lord doing. We can rejoice over the ministry that's happening in this church and abroad. We can take such joy and pleasure in what we see God doing in our kids and grandkids and all around us. But Paul takes us to the ultimate point that their names are in the book of life. And if you go back to verse 1, as you go back throughout the scriptures, you see that this is Paul's goal, is that we would focus our gaze and our attention on the most important things, the eternal weight of what's happening. And that we would lose focus of the things of this earth, but we would fix our eyes on, Lord, what does your eternity hold for the loss that is around us? When are our names written in the book of life, and are we going to bring other people to salvation with us? So be reminded in these concluding moments whose names are in the book of life. So I ask you this morning, are your names in the book of life? Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Have you trusted in him with all that you are? Let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you have taken us out of the dominion of darkness and you have transferred us to your kingdom of your son of light. Well, this morning, Father, I pray for the person in this this auditorium, this sanctuary, or for someone at home who, as you're sitting there listening, you recognize that you have things in your heart that should not be there. Maybe disagreements with people in this room are frustrations or people that you see as enemies, as believers, Lord. I pray that you would help us come together as a unified church to agree in the Lord. Lord, I pray that those three words would be the emblem of our hearts today, that we would be in you, that we would stand firm in the Lord, that we would trust in you, that we would give our lives to you. So Lord, help us. When we get tattered and beaten by the waves of this world and by this fallen world that we live in, Lord, would you put our feet back on the solid rock? Lord, help us. It's your name we pray. Amen.